Hi, this is Pastor Daniel Bracken. You're listening to Kings Alaska podcast. I hope the word encourages you and you get a touch from God that brings transformation and equips you to experience life with people, power, and purpose. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy the word. Matthew, the fourth chapter, quoting the prophet Isaiah, chapter nine, verse two. The people living in darkness, verse 16, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us in these few moments that we have here around your word. Lord, we love this word. We thank you for it. But God, we're asking you to do something now. We're asking you to empower our hearing, to begin to hear well, to begin to hear that which you want us to hear. Speak to the church today. And God, we ask that you empower us not just to hear well, but God, to obey better. Empower us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The people dwelling in darkness, dwelling in the region and the shadow of death. In modern times, never have we lived in a moment where we have, if you wish, tracked death the way that we have in the past two years. To not be a people in wartime who are looking at casualties of war. It's been a very, very interesting moment in which we've all been thrust. And we've been living, if you wish, in a culture of death. A culture of death, not only in the world, but I might add, even in the church. We've all felt it. Tom Rainer, who is one of the uh, contemporary church growth guru guys, talks about how 30% of the church is going to, is, has disappeared not to come back. Now, let me say to you, that's not a real problem because God's going to refill those seats multiple times over. Amen? But it's been a very trying times. The great resignation, as you've been reading in the news, it's also something that is applied to men and women of God as they've said, it's just too much. I've worked my entire life to put up this building, to, 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 to fill these seats, to care for these people, and now there's just, they've been dispersed. And pastors who they knew how to build, all of a sudden, the very thing, part of our building is assembly. It's part of the Acts 2 model. The church was together. Then all of a sudden, in many, many places around the world, it was all taken away from us at one time. Pastors have been part of this great resignation, just quitting. And I don't know about you, but individually, many of you have felt the very same way. You've been touched somehow by this shadow. If not by this, by this virus that either has affected your body, has affected someone in your family, you have felt the emotional tentacles that have tried to go in and just reach in and just squeeze the life right out of you. We all know what that feels like. Paul wrote about this 
in, 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 he was in 2 Corinthians 1.8, his ministry in Asia, under great pressure, it says, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. But I want to say to you this morning that the reports of death, including yours and mine in the church, to quote the author, are greatly exaggerated. And I want to show a movie clip to set this message up today. From 1995, yes, it's, it's in color. But it's a movie that, just to set it up for a moment, it's Apollo 13. And in this moment, the flight engineers are trying to figure out how to get this busted spacecraft back to the Earth and preserve the life of those astronauts. Take a look at this screens. Comes our question. Is it going to be our greatest disaster or our finest hour? And I believe that men and women of faith already know the answer to the question. Is that we're already declaring it is already our finest hour. But there's some things that we're going to have to do in order to make that a reality. You know, it's easy to highlight problems. All you have to do is just pick up your favorite form of media. You can see the problems. You can see the problems in the culture. There are many, many Christian books that are highlighting the demise of a culture. Everything wrong in the church, even among the prophetic right now. It seems like the prophetic gets in an echo chamber among itself. They begin to re-prophesy each other's words about the sky falling and not in a good way. It's what we're listening to in this moment, ladies and gentlemen. And it's amazing how we can hear the same set of facts, and yet faith informs those facts completely differently. We see one flight engineer, yak, 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 yak. These are all the problems. Do they really need to know? Is there anything we can do about it? Not really. Then they don't need to know, do they? Parents, how many times you don't tell your children all the challenges that you're going through? Whether it's your marriage, whether it's the finances, you don't bring your six-year-old in to counsel in that moment. They don't need to know. And yet in this particular moment, assessing the same set of facts, we find one flight engineer, the sky is falling. It's going to be our worst moment ever. And yet Ed Harris playing that second flight engineer, I believe is going to be our finest hour. Let me tell you, that's the sound. We need to get in our ears in this hour, in spite of everything else. But if we're going to see that happen, there are two things that must converge. One, we've got to have the right revelation, and second, the right response to that revelation. For us to realize that we are living in a chosen historic moment. Listen, saints, I want you to get hold of this. That God loves you and me enough 
to drop us into history at this moment. You have no idea what a privilege that is. That if, if Christ tarries, generations are going to read about us and say, man, I wish I'd been alive. How many times do we read history? Man, that first great awakening, that second great awakening, all that charismatic renewal of the 1960s and 70s. I wish I had been alive then. Guess what? You are alive then. Because you're alive right now. Is that God has set up the entire planet at one time. Not just one location, one people group, one nation. He has globally set the scene set the stage for I believe, and many prophets like myself, the greatest outpouring of God in generations. And yet, here we are right now. What are we listening for? What are we listening to? And many times, and let me tell you, you say, but, but, but Pastor Jim, all these challenges, how can that be God? Listen, the devil always exploits these moments of vulnerability. It's just what he does. When God begins to do a thing among a people, the enemy always finds a way to get in and try to take credit for it for himself. Hear me. How is the church going to respond? We see historically there have been moments where the church has not done its finest hour. It's not had its most stellar moments. 1945, the end of World War II, September 2nd, the surrender of Japan aboard the Missouri. General Douglas MacArthur has received this unconditional surrender, and as the dignitaries are leaving the ship, he addresses the United States by radio. And here are some excerpts, and I quote, a military general, not an evangelist, not a theologian, not a preacher, but a military leader, listen to this. The problem is theological. This is MacArthur. The problem is theological and involves a spiritual recruitance, which means revival. It must be of the spirit if we are to save the flesh, unquote. Oh, my goodness. I wish I'd written that as a preacher. But this is a military general at the end of this global conflict. And in that same year, he welcomed four clergymen, the first four to enter post-war Japan. And he said this to them, Japan is a spiritual vacuum, and if you don't fill it with Christianity, it will be filled with communism. Amazing. And in that moment, MacArthur saw that vacuum. And he called for a thousand missionaries to immediately be sent into this nation, into this void. Because it wasn't just a military defeat. It wasn't just a defeat of one nation, of another nation. But their God had failed them because their emperor was a deity. And in this moment, they were left with no deity. They were left with nothing to worship. MacArthur understood this vacuum. As late as 1956, he was still reaching out to the Southern Baptist Convention. Send missionaries. Send missionaries. And at the height of Christianity in Japan under MacArthur, there were 4 million Christians in a nation of 83 million. Today, 1 to 2 million Christians 
less than 1% of the population. Interesting. 13th century. It's back up 700 years. Kublai Khan, the leader of the Mongol Empire, had become acquainted with Marco Polo. And not the Marco Polo that you play in the swimming pool, but the real guy. And he become fascinated with this new belief system known as Christianity. And when Marco Polo got back to Rome, he told the Pope about this leader and he said, we need to send missionaries. And for whatever reason, Rome sent two and neither one of them got to Kublai Khan. And it shaped the religious landscape of that part of the world for centuries as a result. Back up a few more years, 5th century. At this point, Rome is considered Christian based on the efforts of Constantine the century before. We're right at the fall of Rome. The vandals are there at the gates. And one of the church fathers, Jerome, translated the the, the gospel, the Vulgate. And here he is, and he is decrying. He said, the end of the world is near. And it says he went into a cave to die. And yet his counterpart in North Africa, Augustine, rather than take that approach, he wrote a book called The City of God that highlighted two cities. There's a heavenly city and an earthly city. And he did what he could, even from his deathbed. He was preparing, knowing what was militarily about to happen. He was still leading and preparing the church to be victorious. How about you and me? We're going to be like Jerome and go hide in the cave, become preppers, get some more propane and some spam and another gun? Or are we going to be like Augustine and leading people through what we're facing? That becomes our question. But to do that, three things have to be in existence. Winston Churchill wrote this. He said, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity, but the optimist sees opportunity in every difficulty. It's a right response to less than right conditions. You know, it's amazing many times what hothouse flowers we've become. We're like orchids. We're beautiful, special snowflake flowers. Look at me. Please spritz me. Just the right amount of humidity. Just a, not a lot of Holy Ghost, doctor, but just, just spritz me occasionally, all right? Let's be sure that the temperature is within half a degree, and I will prosper in that perfect environment. There's only one problem. Jesus said, you're never going to have a perfect environment because in this world, you are going to have trouble. Jesus, out of his very lips, told us there's no perfect environment, you hothouse flowers is that there's going to have to be not just that we get hard, but there's a hardening off so that we can bear fruit in less than great conditions because that's what we're called to do in and out of season. Amen? And many of us have found ourselves out of season. This doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like the right moment. Trust me, it's the right moment. In Virginia, in 20... 11, we had an earthquake in Virginia, outside of Washington, D.C., of 5.8. Now, 
Pastor Bruno talked about this like 27.6 that they had in Chile. I mean, they like, he brushes his teeth and it's a 5.8, all right? So he, he's kind of giggling a little bit like, you know, sissies. You know? But that was a big deal because I did not know that we could even have, we had a fault underneath the eastern seaboard. I did not know that. And so we had this, this rumble for a few seconds that did millions and millions of dollars to the nation's capital. Gargoyles began to fly off of the National Cathedral and crash to the ground. The Washington Monument cracked. It stayed closed for years afterwards. Did untold damage in just a very, very short period of time. And I preached a message at that time. It was, when will the shaking stop? <laughs> and one of, the, one of my points was, you, many of us live on these unseen fault lines that we don't even know are there. But if you can and you know it's there, get off of it. Well, the Holy Spirit took me back to that message a few months ago. He said, son, you need to re-preach the message, but the one you preached 10 years ago is wrong now. Because the reality is, everything I'm calling you to do is built on a fault line. Do you realize that everything that Jesus builds in your life and my life is built on a fault line? Because of the sin, the sin nature in you and I, there is a fault line, yet Jesus has figured out how to build with us and to us. But the fault line is always there. When we're waiting for some measure of, oh, I'm going to get this right. I'm going to get my life right. I'm going to get this all figured out when I get through this counseling cycle or whatever it might be. Let me tell you, the fault line will always be there. And the question is, God is giving us different specifications of how to build on the fault line. Whether it's in our nation, whether it's in a state, whether it's in our life. My goodness. That's what he builds on. So when does it stop? It doesn't. That's the, that's the thing. Like so many prophets, you know, I was kind of peeking in, trying to figure out when is COVID going to end? Okay, the president said it was going to end by Easter. Chuck Pierce said it was going to end at Pentecost, excuse me, Passover. Well, I decided to throw in, and I said, it's going to be over by Pentecost. Happened to be May 31st of that year. Guess what? We all missed it. Because it's not about timing. What if this shaking is going to be here to stay? So it means that the way that we do life is going to change. And we see even prerequisite to the great outpourings of history. What have historically preceded them have been what? Rumblings, cultural shakings. It's always been prerequisite. So, okay, Pastor Jim, I'll give you that. So, if the shaking is not going to stop, then how then do we live? What do we do? Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 4 through 6, and I'm going to give us some insight. It says, He who deserves, or excuse me, he who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. This is the prophetic aspect of the church that we become like Holy Ghost weathermen. Okay? But it doesn't say, it says, disregard all of that. It says, as you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed. At evening, withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike 
will be good. Now, we read that passage and we can say, well, if that's true, why come to a prophetic conference? What good is the contemporary prophetic if I can't know all of these specifics? Because the mandates of what we are called to do, it doesn't change from one prophetic conference to the next. Is that the mandates and the mission of Scripture don't change based on what the year is or where the conference is being held. So let's look at some biblical metaphors to understand what is it that we do even if we're building on fault lines. The first Farmers sow. That passage, of course, the sower sows the word. Now, you remember this, 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 um, this parable here? It talks about the condition of the soil. And so we use it as a discipleship, you, you know, a discipleship message. You know, you want the right soil for the seed to go in. But you know what? It doesn't say wait to sow the seed until there's good soil. It simply says the farmer sows the word. Let me just tell you. When the word got sowed in your heart the first time, your soil won't real good. It was not well watered. It was, there was a lot of manure there. I'll give you that. But there was a lot of rocks and lots of, I mean, it was just not real good dirt to grow stuff in. And yet, that seed found a way in your life. We don't withhold. The sowing of the word based on how we assess someone else's condition in that moment. Our mandate as farmers is to sow the word. Period. That's what we're called to do. I was in a leaders meeting at the, in, in the early part of 2020 and I prophesied. I said, God is about to drag the plow of this harvest through the nations. It's called COVID. Little did I know the impact it was going to have at that time. But let me just tell you, this virus has opened up. It has ripped through nations and governments and peoples in a way that nothing else has in modern history. And it has opened up furrows for the gospel, for the seed to go down into. Let me tell you also is that earthquakes open the soil up in very unique ways. They open, these fissures open up. Guess what? Seed goes in as well, and they become, if you wish, the troughs for seed that they might come forth. Farmers sow. Fishermen fish. Eleven years ago, there was a historic earthquake in Japan, the Tohoku earthquake. And this earthquake created a record tsunami. The waves were over 400 feet, excuse me, 133 feet in height at one point. And when this tsunami came on land, it was moving over 400 miles per hour. I began to look at pictures of this because its 10th anniversary was last year. And, and all I saw was these walls of water in black and, you know, cars and houses and death and destruction and the Holy Spirit said, son, what do you see? I said, Lord, I see destruction. He said, look again. I see, I see death and destruction. He said, you're still not looking and seeing what I'm seeing. He said, you know what else is in that water? Fish. It just stopped me. He said, you realize the displacement of ocean life that came on shore with that tsunami? He said, son, you were so fixated 
with your natural eye on all of the destruction and death, you couldn't see what was below the surface. Ladies and gentlemen, we live in one of the greatest diasporas in history where we see peoples and people groups that are being displaced because of things going on in the earth. I talked to a man who was, who was planting churches, pastor, in Syrian refugee camps. He was an apostle in a Syrian refugee camp. We've got Afghans that are coming through our city. Their, their intake is literally a half a mile from our church. The nations are coming to us. Can we stop being so worried about building walls to keep those folks out? And can we see that God is bringing a harvest to us? Is that in all the upheaval and these waves of, of, of what's happening in the world, God's bringing fish right to our doorstep. Fishermen fish. And builders build. I saw your new building yesterday. Wow. And then I heard the story about this little breeze that blew through here a little while ago. Had a chance to hang out with Wally a bit and you know, I can't imagine Wally showing up on the job site one day and saying, whew, it's chilly today. Let's put this off till we're all better rested. I tell you, all, all y'all, will come back in May, we'll finish this thing when the weather's, no, 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 no. Builders, guess what? They figure out. Can't get this, we'll use something else. It doesn't matter what's going on in the weather. It doesn't matter what the weather did to it. We're going to build. Nehemiah, in the midst of, it ain't going to happen, son. We're going to kill you. We're going to knock this wall down. It's never going to happen. They built in spite of. They learned to work and war simultaneously, which is what God is calling us to do. We have no choice but to do that. And it's going to require flexibility. Well, I did this before and it worked. Guess what? It probably won't this time. I've had the privilege of going up into the Burj Khalifa in Dubai. So, at that time, I think it still is the tallest building in the world. 2,700 feet tall, 160 stories. You get in the top of that bad boy, and that whole thing's doing this. It's like, I'll get down now. But they've engineered that building to be what? Flexible. They've engineered that building that when the winds off of that desert hit that building, that building is able to do what? Shift. It is able to be flexible enough that it doesn't come down when the pressure comes against it. It begins to shift and move with it. Let me tell you, God's messed with a lot of ecclesiastical building in this last season. And lastly, soldiers fight. Confrontation. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't, I don't like conflict much. As a prophet, I'm in the wrong business. I'm just telling you, because that's, that's kind of the life of the prophetic, is conflict. But we, we want to try to avoid it wherever possible. It's very interesting. And yet, one of the biblical metaphors, be it a farmer or a builder or a fisherman, is a what? A soldier. True disciples know how to rightly embrace conflict. Not trying to figure out the latest, greatest, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, declare it, decree it, 
in Jesus' name, not, they figured out how to rightly embrace conflict. God is looking for a church. He's looking for a people that he can, he can entrust trouble with. You know, we all run to the altar. God, entrust me with great wealth. Entrust me, God, with gifts and talents, and I'll do amazing things. But there's a very short line that says, God, entrust me with trouble. <laughs> Nobody in that line. But let me just tell you, look, at, look throughout Scripture. The greatest heroes in Scripture are the ones that were willing to embrace the trouble. Not just the ones that were willing to inherit. Not just the ones that were willing to, 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 to have the talents and the treasures. I mean, just consider the list. Moses, trouble, Pharaoh, really? Seriously. Two chapters trying to talk God out of it. Nobody else like him, though. Moses, Elijah, taking on a corrupt government of the day. Paul, trouble. Nobody trusted the man. Revelation that this gospel is not just for the Jew, but also for the Gentile. Here's a key, guys. Revelation will get you in trouble. You think you want it. Be careful what you ask for, because invariably revelation will bring trouble to your life. Yes, it will bring strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. 1 Corinthians 14, I got all that. But let me just tell you, you begin to move in deeper realms of revelation, it will bring trouble. It will bring conflict. It's the reason that this man and this woman are in this place trying to get that building up, trying, trying to see how to take an entire state. That revelation has brought trouble, not just blessing. And God is looking for people that will embrace that trouble. But it's what we see. Thoreau said, it's not what you look at that matters, it's what you see. You see, we look, we get information. But when we see, we get revelation. There's a difference. We see, we get revelation. And we respond, we get an intersection of heaven and earth. Everybody can see the problems. I can see the problems, Henry. Gehazi. We're going to die. They found us. And Elisha didn't comfort Gehazi. He said, God, open his eyes. Let him see beyond what he's seeing with his natural eyes. The disciples. They just saw a few thousand hangry people. No Costco. No Sam's Club, no Mickey D's with a toy. Jesus looks at those guys and says, what you going to do about it? They said, man, if we had all this money, we wouldn't be able to put a crumb in every one of their mouths. They saw a problem. Jesus saw an opportunity. He saw an opportunity to show himself and to show those disciples what they were really dealing with with this Jesus. Wow. And we're going to have to confront as good soldiers, saints. We're going to have to confront fear. 
Say, oh, I'm not fearful. Yes, you are. There's fear. But the question is, to whom are we listening and to what are we peering? You see, fear is very loud. Fear makes a lot of noise. It gets the headlines. But you know, faith is quiet. Faith doesn't yell at us. These men and women on the front row know this, is that the voice of God doesn't get louder. It gets quieter. It gets more distinct, but it gets quieter. That's why we have to still and quiet our souls so that we can begin to hear that voice that's not yelling at us, Son! He might do that in the early days. But we walk with God for a while, and he just says, Son, let me talk to you. And I found the voice of God, it gets increasingly quieter. And that's the place where faith finds its genesis. It's right there. That's why we have to tell all of these other voices, all this other noise. We just have to say, shut up, please. Be nice. Shut up, please. So that I can hear. You're going to have to confront self. I, I, I tell you, COVID, it, mm, I just want to not wear this mask and touch my face and go to a restaurant. I mean, the depth of self was pathetic. I sounded like a four-year-old of the things. And, and, and it's just it's amazing how our culture freaked out and we called it everything from personal liberties to civil rights to religious liberty. We went crazy because we weren't willing to confront how pathetic we are in and of ourselves and how loud our flesh really is. That I can't go to a restaurant and I feel like I'm being persecuted. Seriously? I think maybe all of us can miss a meal anyway. Wow. And then you're going to have to confront the enemy. Because you may as well, because he's going to confront you. He's the terminator. He comes only. That word is in there for a reason. Only to kill and destroy and steal. Let me just tell you, there are two moments where you can always count on the enemy to show up. Birthing and building. He'll always show up at both events. There was an evil doctor named Dr. Lamaz who somehow cooked up this idea that men should be in the birthing room with their wives. It's not a solid idea. God did not endue us with uteruses for a reason. Is that after, after the first generation of births, that would have been the end of civilization. He said, dude, don't do it. You know, that would have been. And so here we are. And my wife, in both cases, she just got so tired. I can't go on. I just, I don't think I can do this. 
And we get to the very same place many times that God is trying to birth something in our life and the enemy is right there and he says, you don't have the power to send it forth. And yet we find a promise in the word. God says, do I not bring to the moment of birth and I bring delivery? God will birth what he has conceived in your life. Some of you wonder, why isn't God birthed? Maybe God didn't conceive it. But if God conceived it, he will safely birth it. That is a promise. But the enemy's right there. Revelation 12, the woman about to give birth and the dragon there ready to devour the child. And then building. Man, I've never been involved with a building project personally or ecclesiastically that I haven't gotten to some point in saying, man, I'm just so done with this. I'm so done with this a hundred times. We just get tired. Nehemiah got tired. The same old yak, 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 yak. And the enemy will be right there. You may as well confront him because he's going to confront you. So in the midst of all of this, can we find God? Can we find God? You know, so many times, saints, we want God to come find us. God came and found you. When he revealed himself to you, but then the script flips. And now we go find him. I don't think Jesus got up after the first call of those early disciples. I don't think he got up every morning and said, Yo, all right, uh, uh, where's what's his face? Where, where's Matthew? Somebody go find him. He's in the Starbucks. Again, I mean, I don't think Jesus spent half of his day rounding the disciples up. Because the admonition was, you come follow me. In other words, you figure out where I am, where I'm going. You come find me and get there. This is the mandate of discipleship. But can we find him in the midst of all of this? And I'll close with this. The convergence in which we find ourselves. It's very, very unique. April 1906. Los Angeles, California. April 9th. African-American preacher by the name of William Seymour. What we now know is the Azusa Street Revival. Lasting for at least until 1915, birth major Pentecostal denominations and what became the fastest growing catalyst of church growth the planet's ever seen. And we're yet still in the middle of it because of what happened in a horse barn. You know, I heard about the prayer meetings in the barn. And I just thought about Azusa Street. The birth of the Pentecostal revival. But something happened nine days later up the road on April 18th, same year. The great San Francisco earthquake. Unheard of, untold destruction. The convergence of opposition and opportunity coming together, the natural and the spiritual. Amazing. John 11, Lazarus, the one you love is ill. Fine, we'll leave in a couple of days. Seriously? Jesus gets there. Mary and Martha jump up in his face, begin to accuse him. If you've been here, He gets to the tomb and everybody is wrecked, weeping. It's a mess. They're looking at Jesus with disdain. And 
And not the guy that loved this family so much. Where was he when all this went down? Jesus and his humanity got caught up and he says, Jesus wept. Although knowing from the very beginning that there was a greater glory in resurrection than healing, but it required his delay. Let me tell you, some of you have been in delay. You know why? God is waiting for that thing to go ahead and die. Uh-oh. God, 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 God just, just fix it. Patch it up. Just a little artificial resuscitation. How about you got an antibiotic? For, no, 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 no. Let it die. Why? Because the greater glory is always in resurrection. God is not afraid of death the way you and I are. And this resurrection power, he's going to release in this moment. I believe that. And this convergence that we're in, an intersection. God is asking in this, in this hour, is it going to be your greatest disaster? Or is it going to be your greatest hour? And saints, I'm here to tell you, it's going to be your greatest hour. We live not only on holy ground, but we live in a, in a holy historic moment. Let us see it recognize it, and respond accordingly. Well, I hope you were encouraged by God's word. Thank you again for listening to Kings Alaska podcast. God bless you. For more great content, go to kcalaska.com and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace.